Good morning. So who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? How do we interpret what we just saw in this, in this two-minute clip? Obviously, there are a lot of different opinions about Jesus. There's whether he even existed. Some people you see in the video question whether he even existed as a person or a historical figure, whether he died for our sins or not. Uh, whether, I heard this in the video, whether all of us are Jesus, right? And in, in such a random interview, you know, this kind of interview on the street, um, <clears throat> we don't know, we don't know these people's backgrounds. Uh, we don't know whether they've been to church or whether they've read the Bible. Um, so we, you know, I think we, we take it with a grain of salt, but it, I think it's reflective. It's reflective of our culture today reflective of the lack of understanding about who Jesus is and whether his claim to be the Son of God and to offer us eternal life, whether that's actually true. I think what's most kind of shocking or sad when I watch the video is how flippant and how dismissive some people are about this question. Even to ask the question or to answer the question, they seem offended. Um, and and I, find that, I find that sad. One of the main themes that carries throughout the Gospel of Luke, and, and we're in this theme uh, of the study of Luke, and Luke is full of, as the banner says, as we've said, divine surprises about who God is and about who Jesus is. A theme that carries throughout the Gospel of Luke is how the people understand who Jesus is. And this is common throughout all the, go the Gospels, right? How people see what he's doing, experience him, and understand who he is and what he means in their lives. Last week, Pastor Corey talked about Simon Peter, if you were here for the message. He talked about Simon Peter reluctantly casting his his net over the side of the boat only because Jesus asked him to. Right? But once Peter saw the incredible catch of fish, and this is earlier in Luke 5, this incredible catch of fish that almost sinks his boat, he recognizes, at least in part, Jesus' authority, and he falls down before him. And this, what Peter did, that was an apt response to who Jesus is. But we'll see in our text this morning, like we've seen in our video, that not everyone responds like that. Not everybody thinks that way. And I think learning to respond appropriately to Jesus is one of the most important things we can do. Learning to respond appropriately to Jesus is one of the most important things in our lives. And I'm not just talking about the call to salvation or to receive Christ into your heart. Because I think even as a Christian, how you respond to Jesus, to what you see him do in Scripture, to what you feel like he's impressing on your heart each day, to what you hear him say, is the difference between flourishing in your walk with God or becoming bored and stagnant and unfruitful. 
So as we, as we think about this, as we dive into our passage this morning, um, think about this. It's how we respond to Jesus. That is, our, I think, our call this morning. So uh, let's take a moment and pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, um, we know that we come from all different places, and even the people in the video, Lord, all different places. So we don't want to judge, we don't want to presume things, Lord, but we know that we want to learn more about you, Lord. And we're here today to learn more about you and to, to see you, Lord, as you truly are. And so I pray that you would break down any walls that we have, any preconceived notions, and you would open our hearts to who you are and that we would receive you as you receive us, Lord. I pray that you bless each person here and you would speak to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. One day, Jesus was teaching, and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to, to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on the mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friends, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Get up and walk. But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, Get up, take your mat, and go home. Immediately, he stood up from in front of them, took what he had been laying on, and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave God praise. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. After this, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at its tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him, and Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with them. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? Jesus answered them, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Then they said to him, John's disciples often fast and pray. So do the disciples of the Pharisees, but yours go on eating and drinking. Jesus answered, Can you make the guests of the bridegroom fast while he is with them? But the time will come when the bridegroom will be taken from them. In those days they will fast. He told them this parable. No one tears a patch from a new garment and sews it into an old one. If he does, he will have torn the, the new garment and the patch from the old new one will not match the old. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins. 
If he does, the new wine will burst the skins, the wine will run out, and the wineskins will be ruined. No, new wineskins must be poured into new wineskins. And no one, no one after drinking old wine wants the new, for he says the old is better. Thank you, Danielle and Melinda. Um, this is a long passage uh, yeah, that we're looking at this morning, and we're not going to cover you know, all of the verses, but I wanted you to, to, to read and to hear uh, the entire uh, passage this morning. Since it's a long passage, uh, my wife said, you know, when I was preparing earlier this week for the message, she said, oh, you should get somebody else to read. They don't want to hear you talking on and on and on. <laughs> So I got, I got two of the best to, to read this morning. Um, and so what we see in our text today are, are several interactions that Jesus had. I'll try to summarize several interactions that Jesus had with the people and then with the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Now, if you don't know about the Pharisees, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law or the scribes, they're, they're seen as the religious leaders of their day. But they pride themselves on a strict observance, strict observance and following of the Mosaic law or of the Jewish law. And so what we want to do is we want to pay special attention this morning to how each group understands who Jesus is and then how they respond to him. So as the passage opens that uh, Daniel started with, it's early in Jesus's ministry. He's in the midst of calling his disciples together. Last week we saw that Jesus called Peter, and today we're going to see him call another disciple. So it's, it's not that far along, but Jesus is already developing a reputation here in, by Luke chapter 5. He's already taught in the synagogue. He's healed the sick. He's casted out demons. And so the people have gathered around. There's a buzz in the air, and the people have gathered around to hear him teach. And we read that the Pharisees and the teachers of the law they came from all around. It says they came from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem, and they came all around because of the reputation that Jesus was, was uh, developing. Um, and it says that they were sitting there, you see in verse 1. And you can kind of imagine this scene. So there's this buzz. There's this crowd. It's a hot ticket. And the, cr the house is crowded where Jesus is teaching. Okay, and the people are packed in. And there's not enough chairs. Does that sound like last Sunday <laughs> in the social hall? So they're trying to get more chairs in, trying to seat more people, trying to pack in more people, right? But there's, there's just too many. And so people are probably listening from inside the house, outside the house. But, of course, these guys, and I say these guys, I mean the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they all got seats. Right? This is my picture of it. They all got seats. They're sitting probably in the front row because they, again, are seen as these leaders. They consider themselves better than. Right? And so they're sitting there watching, listening to Jesus with a critical eye. It says that while Jesus was teaching, some men tried to bring their paralyzed friend to him. But because it was so crowded, they couldn't get through. Right, which that's not surprising. You got like four guys, you know, four or five guys trying to 
carry their paralyzed friend on a stretcher or a mat. Um, and, so, and they're trying to get into this crowded home. And it wasn't like Jesus was having a healing session either. Right? It wasn't like open door for healing. It was time for Jesus to teach. He was teaching and he was speaking. But all that didn't matter to these guys. It says they went up on the roof. They cut a hole in the roof. Right? So pretty presumptuous, right? That They cut a hole in the roof. They tied some ropes to the, to the mat or the stretcher that their friend was on, and they lowered him down from the roof. Right? So it says in the scripture, right in front of Jesus. Pretty, pretty crazy, right? pretty bold stuff. So even if Jesus wanted to continue teaching and ignore them, he couldn't because they're like, this man's dangling in front of him. Right? And so it kind of made me think of like Cirque du Soleil and stuff like that. But, um, so this man's dangling in front of him, and Jesus wants to, Jesus wants to address him. In verse 20, it says, When Jesus saw their faith, he said, Friend, your sins are forgiven. So the first thing is that Jesus saw their faith. And I won't talk about this too much, but he saw the faith of the paralyzed man's friends. Their faith meant something to Jesus. And Jesus commended them for it. And he saw how determined they were. Right? And this, this was meaningful to Jesus. So something to note here is that faith, which we usually think of as invisible or undetectable, faith can be seen. Faith can be seen. Not always, not in every instance, but faith can be seen by your actions. It can be seen by your determination by your willingness to do what you believe God has called you to do. These are signs of faith. And it doesn't have to be spectacular like, you know, bringing your friend toward healing or, or cutting a hole in the roof. But it's doing something because God is at work in you. And these are steps of faith. It may be as simple for you as praying for your friend asking the Lord to help them. It may be as simple as helping your neighbor who you know could, need the, could use the assistance. Maybe it's, it's actually getting more involved here at church and joining a growth group and stepping in to say, I want to join in in Bible study and in fellowship with others. But I think there is something lacking in our faith if it can never be seen. Something's missing. But these men, these men that we're looking at in the passage, they had faith. They had faith in Jesus. They stopped at nothing to get their friend in front of Jesus. They had faith in what Jesus would do. And Jesus says to this man, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now they, they bring their paralyzed friend and they cut the hole in the roof, and they bring him down, and they try to bully their way in, in front of it, you know, and get attention from Jesus. Um, they're looking for something else, right? They weren't looking necessarily for, friend, your sins are forgiven. That's not what they were expecting initially. 
But Jesus knows. Jesus knows, doesn't he? He knew what the man's real need was. What good would it be for him to heal his body, but to have his soul perish in hell? Mark 8.36 says virtually the same thing. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? See, this man obviously had a physical need. Everybody could see it. But his greater need was for the forgiveness of his sins and his reconciliation with God. And I think about how it, it applies or speaks to us. You know, we want and we pray for so many things, for ourselves, for our friends. But I want to ask you, what is the greatest need? What is your greatest need? What is your friend's greatest need? And if you're here, and if it's for God's forgiveness, and if it's for Christ to, to come into your to your life, then I would ask you to, to stop me or stop Pastor Corey after service and talk to us. Because we would love to, to talk that through with you. We would love to pray with you about that. Maybe this is your step of faith today. So when the Pharisees and the teachers of the law saw Jesus say, friend, your sins are forgiven, and they, they saw him forgive this man of his sins, they thought to themselves, right, you see it in the scripture, they thought to themselves, who is this guy? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, I think we know more and we know better about who Jesus is, but when they say, who can forgive sins but God alone, they're right. Only God can solve our sin problem. We can't do it ourselves. Another person can't do it for you. Good deeds won't do it. Okay, only God. We've missed the mark. All of us have. We've missed the mark and turned from God, and it looks different in everybody's life, but we are all guilty before God, and we need his forgiveness. And just as we prayed about earlier, as Pastor Corey led, we need that forgiveness and that repentance. But the Pharisees' problem, okay, continuing on, the Pharisees' problem was their refusal to see who Jesus actually was. Their questions, their thoughts, came from a place of judgment and criticism. And you see in this passage, early in this passage, how they're thinking these things to themselves. They're not even voicing them out loud at this point. But we'll see, as the passage goes on, how these attitudes begin to take shape. And Jesus, though, Jesus, he's not, he's not shying away from anything. He addresses them head on. Even though they're just thinking these things, he knows what their thoughts are. In verse 23 and 24, he says, Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, take up your mat, get up, Take your mat and go home. 
See, this was a demonstration of Jesus' authority. Jesus is demonstrating his authority as the Son of God over both the physical and the spiritual realm. God is a healer to us in both areas. Do not doubt that. And Jesus kind of tells it in a riddle here. He tells it in a riddle, but he's, he's saying to the Pharisees and scribes, you think it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because no one can tell if it's truly happened right there. Then I say, get up and walk <clears throat> so that you can see that what I say is true over the physical and the spiritual. So Jesus is like throwing down the gauntlet and proving his authority here. And what is the response? What is the response to Jesus? We want to we be looking at that throughout the passage. In verse 25, it says, Immediately he, the paralyzed man, stood up in front of them. And I think them is not just the crowd, but it's the Pharisees and the scribes. He stood up in front of them. And he took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. See, the man, the man was overjoyed. He was overjoyed and he praised God. And I'm sure his, remember he's got his buddies on the roof, right, who have lowered him down through the hole. I'm sure they're jumping up and down in excitement because that's what they, that's what they wanted. They wanted this for their, their friend, right? So they're probably shaking the whole, whole house, right? And things are, you know, rocking. Verse 26 says, everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. <clears throat> Praise, awe, and joy. They were and they are appropriate responses to who Jesus is. And we should experience these things as a church family. We should be experiencing these things from time to time as the power of God works in our midst. And maybe you're thinking... Pastor, I don't experience those kind of things in my life. And I think if we're honest, we know that's the way it is sometimes. For some of you, life, church, your relationship with God has grown boring, pedestrian, stale, unimaginative. There's nothing new or exciting. Well, maybe you and me too Right? We need to take steps of faith, steps of faith to do something new. Or perhaps we need to seek God's forgiveness to begin with. I put this down at the bottom of the, the program. We're not near the end of the message yet, okay? But at the bottom of the program, you'll see this application question. As an application this week, ask God, what is one thing you want me to do in response to who you are? And you ask, you ask him that, and you pray that earnestly. And then do, try and do what he says. So that's the passage of the paralytic. Um, Melinda read for us then the passage where Jesus calls Levi. In the next scene it says, Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi sitting at his tax booth. Follow me, Jesus said to him. 
And Levi got up, left everything, and followed him. Now, in the past, we've talked about tax collectors. You guys remember uh, us talking about Zacchaeus in, in past messages? You know, tax collectors, they were like the dregs of society. They were outcasts from the community. They were loved by no one except their mothers and then other tax collectors, right, because they need to stick together because they were traitors. They were considered traitors and extortionists who worked for the Roman government and got rich cheating and oppressing their own people. So it's somewhat shocking when Jesus says to Levi, follow me. Okay, that's shocking to start with, that Jesus would want such a person to be his disciple and to represent him. But what's even more surprising, I think, is Levi's response. Levi, who would be, come to know, become, be known as Matthew, come to be known as Matthew, the disciple, it says, got up, left everything, and followed him. For Levi, this was the appropriate response and his act of faith right, to who Jesus is. To get up, to leave everything, and to follow him. To walk away from his wealth. So even though he probably wasn't, didn't have many friends, he probably had a lot of money because he was a tax collector and a cheat. Okay, but to walk away from his wealth, his job, and the only life that he knew. But somehow, Levi understood the importance of following Jesus. The passage goes on. Before he leaves, it says he held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of his only friends, right? Tax collectors and others were there. In verses 30, 30 to 32, it says, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered them, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. So just a couple of more observations about this passage and we'll, and we'll wrap up. First, Levi's response to leave everything and follow Jesus was one of joy. I want, I want us to see this in Scripture. He wasn't regretting. He wasn't lamenting. It was one of joy. This banquet was a party. It was a celebration. Following Jesus is something to be celebrated. And Levi wanted to share this with the few friends that he had. He wanted them to meet Jesus. He wanted them to know he's following him and he's changing his life. And Jesus, Jesus and his disciples, they partied. <laughs> they fully embraced it. Okay? Fish and bread for everyone. Right? Jesus was into it. And he, he reveled in their celebration. He reflected, the, Jesus and his disciples reflected the joy of the Lord for all those who would gather and follow him. And it wasn't just a symbolic thing either. These are the people who Jesus came for. 
those that are looked down upon, those that are outcasts from society, those that are on the fringe. He said he came for the sick and the sinner. And if we understand our own need for healing, if we understand the wretchedness of our own sin and our guilt, if we understand our inability to save ourselves, then we qualify as those who Jesus came for. See, in in Greco-Roman culture or in Jesus' time here in in these days, table fellowship, this is maybe a new term to you, table fellowship was huge. When you shared a meal with someone, when you partied with someone, you were saying, these are my friends. These are my people. And that's, it's not that different from today. I think it was more pronounced then. But those that you invite to your house for dinner, those that you want to invite to a party, right? They're the ones that you say, these are my friends, and we, we associate together. So that when you see Jesus in Scripture eating with people, This is a significant statement about his acceptance of them. In Revelation 3.20, he says, Here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. See, Jesus invites us. He invites you into fellowship with him. And in turn, we should be accepting and inviting others as well. In our church, here at West Covina Christian Church, we should extend our table to those who are like us as well as those who are different from us and even those who are very different from us. This is what Jesus models. This is what he tells us. This is, I think, what we want to do as well. And this is what the kingdom of God is like. Secondly, okay, what is the Pharisees' response? We're not not forgetting about them just here in the end. It says in verse 30, right, it says they complained and they criticized. Yeah, they didn't like how Jesus did ministry. They didn't understand it. Earlier we saw how they thought judgmental things to themselves. Now we see them voicing their complaints. Later in chapter 6, we'll see that they start to insult Jesus and they start to plot against Jesus. See, there's a bad process going on in their hearts. And I have found myself in that place at times. I think thinking, being overly judgmental, overly critical of others, questioning other people. And I think if, if you can relate to that, if you've sensed that as well in your heart, then I just want to put a word of caution to us, okay, to confess that to the Lord, to not let that fester, not let that go, to not allow judgmentalism and criticism to grow in our hearts 
to not let Satan have a foothold in our lives. It's happening. It, it happens for the Pharisees. They don't understand Jesus. They don't begin to not like Jesus. And they start to close on him. And they start to plot against him. And for us, in smaller ways maybe, if we have this judgmental, critical heart, um, it will make it difficult, the spirit of criticism, it will make it difficult for us, I think, to be able to see Jesus and to see the good that he is doing and to respond to him appropriately. In this passage, here we're wrapping up, in this passage, Jesus forgave sins, he healed the sick, he befriended sinners, he rejected legalism, and he brought joy and celebration to the people. All of this, not because he was a good man, not because he was a social activist, but because he was the Son of God. Amen. And because this is the gospel message. This is the good news that Jesus came for us and he invites us in. The end of the chapter talks about being a new wineskin and we're not going to discuss that, but what that means is that God is full of surprises. We cannot put God in a box. God is living and alive and active and creative. Right? He's not just static and there. We cannot put God in a box. God God likes to do things new and fresh and different, and this will challenge us. If we keep our hearts open, then this will delight us. This will inspire us. This will move us and stir us. But it can be upsetting to our faith if all we see is a system of beliefs, if our faith is just do's and don'ts and traditions and beliefs. Being a new wineskin means adapting to what God is doing and who he is and what he is saying to you. In 2020, my prayers that we be new wineskins. Let us adapt to what God is doing. May we respond to Jesus appropriately. May we take steps of faith. Avoid a judgmental spirit. Extend our table to others. And then to follow Jesus with joy and celebration. Right, let's pray. Father, we want to embrace you for all that you are, Lord. And we know we only get small pictures sometimes. We, we know you in a certain way, Lord. And you know what we um, understand and, and what our relationship with you is like. And we're all in different places, Lord. We pray that wherever we're at, that you would help us grow and take the next step in the process, Lord. Not to be stagnant, not to shut down, but to be open, Lord. Open our hearts to you. And as you lead and as you reveal yourself to us, we pray that you would just grow in us and we would become more like you and that you would bless us here today. In Jesus' name, amen.